Please be seated. So I just have to tell you that uh, greening's just not the same for me. Every year I turn to Stacy and say, it's just not the same because 13 years ago, um, we were, those wreaths were things that we hung as well. And we all looked up and Stacy was on the top step of a ladder with her arms fully straightened out. And there was a big <gasps> throughout the room. And the HR people said, we can't do that anymore. So we hang those beforehand. And I tell her every year, it's just not the same, not seeing you up on that ladder. Um, but we make it through. It looks beautiful. Thank you to everybody behind this and for your help. Um, so we move into the Christmas season. Uh, we come here, uh, most of us having eaten too much um, as we celebrate the Thanksgiving season. Don't know about you, but I'll openly confess that is me. And, uh, um, and so we move into Christmas, and it's interesting how society started, as I said earlier, moved into Christmas before Halloween, right? You go to Walmart or, or Target or wherever you go, and the Christmas trees are up and Halloween hasn't happened. You're thinking, what is going on here? Well, now we're finally here, and we're moving into this Christmas season. And what I hope to do this Christmas season is to share as we go through some of the stories associated with Christmas that we uh, learn some, some very practical lessons for our faith journey uh, that, that we can take with us throughout the year. So we're going to start today with uh, one of the original classic prophecies found in Isaiah. And it's Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to ask you to turn with me there. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 687 and 688. Now, just a little background of the passage to help us understand what's going on here. God was very, very angry with the people of Judah. And he was angry to the point that Isaiah was coming and telling them, this is how you're going to be destroyed. Uh, this is the enemy that's going to come and conquer you, and you're going to be taken away. And, and he's just, God was so angry because they were worshiping false gods and still going to the temple and, uh, and worshiping Yahweh as well. And so God was very angry, and, uh, and his jealousy was burning, and so he had all of this message of despair. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 9, as he does regularly throughout the book of Isaiah, there is a message of hope. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, page 687, if you're using the Pew Bible. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government uh, and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
All right, so a couple of things that are, are very helpful for us, I think, as we go through our faith journeys in this day and time, is sometimes we read into God's promises things that are not there. Now that made you look up. Sometimes we read into God's promises things that were not there. The Jewish people, hundreds of years after this was said, read it and they looked into it and they saw the promise of Messiah. But here's what they saw. They saw verse 7. Okay, so here, here's what they said. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. And here's what they heard. David's kingdom's going to be reestablished. That's what they heard. Now, why is that a big deal in the Jewish mind? The golden years of the Jewish country of, of Israel was when David was king and his son Solomon were king, was king. It was in that time period that, that Israel was the most powerful nation in the world. It was the wealthiest nation of the world. It was the largest it had ever been. And in the mind of the Jewish people, it is the golden years of Israel's existence. And so they read this prophecy and they have gone through all that they've gone through, through being in slavery and, and being taken off to foreign places and brought back. And they see this and they see, oh my goodness, Messiah is going to come and reestablish what we have with David. And they were stuck there. And if you go to a Jewish service today, they will talk of Messiah and this is what they will be seeing. Because they see the promises of God and they see what he said and they focus on that one part and then everything else is filtered through that part of the promise and they're missing the big picture. And so they, they see this Davidic kingdom as it is called as the goal and, and God is going to reestablish us as his people and we're going to be the most powerful nation in the world again and it's going to be awesome. Because they went to God and they see his promise and they see what they want to see. You see, sometimes you and I, we come to God in prayer and we, we come to God and, and we have a communication problem because we think God sees everything the way that I see it and if he doesn't see it the way I see it, something's wrong with God. And we have this communication gap which says, God, you promised this so you have to do this. You know, it's interesting when you look back historically, I think one day we're going to look back on the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century, and we're going to see that the great heresy of Christianity was the prosperity gospel. It's the teaching that because if, if I'm faithful to God and, and I just ask, he will give me in abundance all of the material things that I want. If I just ask in the right way, he's obligated to take care of me that way. If I just ask in the right way, he will provide more of an abundance and I will be wealthy. You can hear that on TV still today. See, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East would laugh at that as they're running for their lives, running from their homes with nothing left. But you see, somebody took a promise of Scripture and they made it say something it didn't say. And so they came to a promise of God and they began to expect God to answer their promise, that promise in a way that they wanted him to answer. And there was this really bad communication because believe that God is obligated to fulfill this promise this way. 
Sometimes we take the promises of Scripture and we say, well, if I'm, and here's the conclusion that has come, as long as I follow Jesus, I'll never have any problems. All the pain will be taken out of my life and I'll never experience pain again. But ironically, that's not very scriptural. But it is a promise that people hold on to because they expect God to answer promises the way that they want him to. Bad communication often gets us in trouble. I remember when our little girl was two years old and uh, we put her bed and, and she loved to sleep. In fact, I think she still loves to sleep, right? Um, but we would put her to bed and wouldn't hear a word or a sound or anything until the next day. And so she was two years old and there was this one night where she started crying. So, change a diaper. She goes back to sleep for 15 minutes, she cries again. Maybe there's some kind of pain, maybe she's thirsty. Give her something to drink. Put her back down, 15 minutes, she cries again. This goes on for hours, hours. So we think, well, she just must be sick. There must be something wrong. And so finally, and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but Ladina and I were talking and one of us asked, well, maybe whatever she ate for dinners, just not agreeing with her. What did you feed her? Well, I didn't feed her, I thought you fed her. No, I thought you fed her. And so all of a sudden it dawned on us, oh, we forgot to give the baby dinner. So at 3.30 in the morning, I hop up and go fix dinner. She gets the baby and we come in and we feed her. She's out till noon the next day. Right? Sometimes in communication, things go wrong. Right? Sometimes in communication, things don't happen the way that, that they're supposed to have. I had an email conversation with someone this week, and apparently I don't understand all of the email etiquette as it's supposed to go. But from the email conversation, and there were four or five emails back and forth, I determined that we were going to have a meeting at 11 o'clock on a certain day. So I drive almost to the beaches to have a meeting with this person. I show up, and they say, what are you doing here? Well, we have a meeting right now. It's not on my calendar. Would you pull up your email for me? Take a look and see. And it was like, oh my goodness, you're gonna be here at 11 today. I'm sorry, I'm not ready for this meeting. So I drive back. Communication, right? So here's the deal when it comes to our relationship with God. Sometimes we come to God with this preordained idea of who God is supposed to be and what he is supposed to do. The Israelite people did exactly that. They saw David's kingdom. They saw the golden years being reestablished. They saw this incredible reality that they would rule the world or be the most powerful country in the world again forever. And they missed what God was promising. Because the truth is, God had something much, much greater in store. You see, it's interesting, when it comes to the promises of God, there's really only one interpretation that matters and that's God's. Hear me when I say that. When it comes to the promises of Scripture, there's only one interpretation that matters, and it's God's. It doesn't matter how right we think we are, it doesn't matter how perfect we have everything planned out, it is God's interpretation of His promises that matters, not mine. Big deal, big deal. 
right? So then what we find is that God really had something much greater than the golden years being reestablished. If you go back to verse six, here's what he promises. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says, here's what's coming. This is what this Messiah is going to look like. And he uses four descriptors to describe him. First of all, he says, Wonderful Counselor. He is going to come and he is going to speak words that are so powerful and so real and so amazing, you are going to be in awe of how he speaks. You remember the stories of scripture when Jesus would talk and people would say, wow, he doesn't speak like the religious leaders, he speaks as someone with power and authority. And they were overwhelmed at how he spoke and what he said. You ever take time to read the parables? They are amazing. Miracles of speech. And so God starts and says, when he comes, he is going to speak in such a way that your mind is going to be blown by the things that he says. It's going to be so powerful and so incredible. So he says, wonderful counselor. He says, mighty God. The Messiah is going to come, and here's what's going to happen. He is going to defy logic with what he can pull off. He's going to go against everything science has ever taught you. He is going to stand on a boat and tell a storm to be calm, and it will. He's going to walk by people who can't see and touch their eyes, and they're going to see again. He's going to see people who can't walk, and he's going to touch them, and they're going to walk again. He's going to turn water into wine. And it's going to be so amazing that dead people are going to come back to life. This almighty God He's going to walk among you. He is going to be God incarnate. So wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father. He is going to have a love for everyone, more than just the Jewish people. He's going to love everybody. And we see the stories of the Samaritan woman at the well and how Jesus loved the unlovable and transformed her life and the whole village in which she lived. Then he's going to be the Prince of Peace. He is going to bring into your life something that is so amazing and so incredible, a a feeling inside that everything's gonna be okay that is so powerful that you can't even explain it with words. Or as Paul said, the peace that passes understanding. And he is going to give you something internally that you can get no place else. And I think God would look at the Jewish idea of Messiah and he would say, you guys are missing out. What I'm promising is so much bigger and so much better, so much more significant. Trust me. See, we go through life and things happen that we don't like. You haven't figured that out yet, it's coming. And we look at those things and we go to God and we say, God, here's the problem. Here's the issue that I'm facing. And just to help you out, here's the solution. If you had any doubt of what the solution is, here it is. And if you just do this, it'll fix everything and we'll be good. But God doesn't see things that way. So I'm gonna tell you a story and you know, 
Gary wanted the garnet and gold. I wanted blue and silver for the ribbons in the room, for the Cowboys. And, and I'm not going to mention the fact that the Cowboys swept the Redskins, I promise. Um, but last year as a Cowboy fan, life was miserable. I felt all seasoned the way you Gators felt, fans felt last night. Okay? I'm not being rude, I'm just saying that's the way it was. No matter what we did, no matter who we played at quarterback, we lost. And the reason we lost is our starting quarterback got hurt. We won four games. We won less than the Jaguars. We won four games. And so he got healed, he had surgery, everything was great, it was set up, this is gonna be a great season. And the second preseason game, he breaks a bone in his back. It's like, well, maybe we'll win three games this year instead of four. And Cowboy Nation just gasped in panic. And now they're going to start a rookie? Oh, miserable. Well, maybe we'll get a good draft pick. And doggone it, the kids won 10 out of 11 games. Now, let me tell you why that's a big deal. Uh, not from a football perspective, but, but from a practical perspective. That never would have happened had the starting quarterback not got hurt. Never would have happened. And so now, though rookie quarterbacks don't win Super Bowls, so we're not planning on that, but the future seems pretty bright in a way that it never would have because there's a bigger picture. So now let's translate this into a spiritual reality. This is really significant. God often says no to our prayer request because there's something much bigger at stake. God often says no because there's something much more incredible that's going to happen. So we come to God and we say, God, please heal my loved one of cancer. Sometimes God says no. We're experiencing that in our family. And my brother-in-law, when he says, you know, I've had more spiritual conversations since I got cancer than I had my whole rest of my life together. It's like, okay, God's using this. And nobody can talk to somebody who has cancer better than somebody who's had it. Right? I lost my job, God. Provide something. Fix it. Nobody can minister to someone who's lost a job better than someone who has lost one before. And on and on it goes. We, we can talk about relationships. We, we can talk about work. We can talk about finances. We can talk about all of these things. Sometimes God says no because there is something much greater at stake. And it may be somebody's soul. Sometimes heartache and difficulty comes because, because God needs to grow us. And that's the only way we're going to pay attention. But sometimes those things happen because there's another life that needs to be transformed. There's somebody else that needs to be impacted. There's something else that needs to take place. And so we have to stop and we have to trust. God, I wish you'd fix it this way, but I trust you even if you don't. And we find no greater example of that reality than Jesus himself. On the night he was betrayed, he went and he prayed, and the and book of Luke says he prayed so intensely that his sweat became like drops of blood, meaning that he had blood vessels bursting in his head because he was so intense. And he went before the Father and he said, Father, please let this cup pass from me. 
Jesus was saying, I don't want to do this. I know that I'm going to be whipped almost to death. I know they're going to put a blindfold on me and punch me and say, hey, prophet, tell us who hit you. I know they're going to put a crown of thorns on me. I know that they're going to stick uh, spikes in my hands and my feet. I I know that it's going to be awful. And if there's any way, please let this cup pass from me. Let's find a different way. But immediately he kept the big picture in mind. I said, not my will, but yours be done. Because he knew that the big picture was more important than his immediate gratification. We have brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in China and in other places that live with an attitude that says, if my life is required of me, to advance the kingdom of Jesus, I will gladly give my life. And oh, to have a heart like that. That says, you know what? If I need to get cancer to help someone come to Jesus, I'll gladly take it. If I need to lose my job so that someone else can find Jesus, I'll gladly give it up. If I need to go through a hard time so that the kingdom of Jesus Christ can advance, I'll gladly do it. Have to confess, I'm not always there. It's not easy to be there. But to be like Jesus and say, not my will, but yours be done. That's when we know that our faith is deep and strong and we've become who he wants us to be. So I want to challenge you today and and challenge me as difficulty comes into your life. See it as an opportunity to participate in what God's doing. And again, it's real easy to stand up here and say that. It's a whole other thing to practice it. So just like the promise of Isaiah 9 where the Israelite people have have seen something they want to see, we need to look at God and not expect him to fit in our model of who we should be. But we need to trust him to be God. A blind faith, a blind trust that says, God, I don't understand any of this, but I trust you. That's who we're called to be. Let's pray. 